And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to our podcast today. And I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at the Kong of Skull Island 2018 special comic book, uh, which was for uh, hashtag Horror Comics Month in the month of October, and also our special Halloween Gaiden episode featuring Vampire Doll. Now, uh, this is a very special episode of Earth Destruction Directive, and the first reason why it's special is that I am not alone. I am joined by my brother, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. How you doing, Jay? Hey, folks. How we doing? Good to have you on, as always. Now, the uh, second reason why this is special is this is, believe it or not, this is episode 100 of Earth Destruction Directive. That's right, the big 100 of edd so thank you to uh, everyone who has supported the show as we've made it out here now i know what you're saying luke you've released more than 100 episodes yeah but i count the guidance separately so that's why uh we crossed the 100 individual drops uh, a couple of years back but this is in fact episode 100 and uh, so i had to have my brother on for episode 100 and for that we are actually going to look back not just back in time to our, our topic for today, but back in time to a film we've already covered here on Earth Destruction Directive. If you set your way back machine all the way back to the year 2011 and you look at episode six of Earth oh Destruction Directive, I covered this film, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1974. At the time, I was experimenting with like randomly generating which Godzilla movie to cover so they weren't being covered in order. I quickly abandoned that <laughs> and, and started covering them in order like a normal person, relatively normal person anyway. And so after we did Godzilla vs. Megalon with my friend Joe, the next one in line, of course, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and I said, well, let me get my brother and uh, we can uh, we we can talk about this one together rather than me doing a just a straight episode with it. We'll get a discussion over this one. Uh, so Jay, what do you? Uh, I know you are a, a Mechagodzilla fan, but not necessarily of of this movie. What what's uh, kind of what's your background with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla '74? So I'm going to say you and I had to have seen this when we were kids at some point because I remember King Caesar. And to be honest with you, my remember my memory of this movie is we didn't see this at home. We were, I want to say we were at Disney World. We had just gotten to the Polynesian. We got, we just driven down. We got to the Polynesian. We're in the room and like mom and dad are getting whatever. We're going to go to the pool. This just got the Polynesian back in the day had the absolute best pool. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we put on the, the channel five or whatever the heck, whatever the thing was that. And we caught this because I remember King Cesar. That's really what sticks out in my memory about this movie. But I don't remember seeing the whole movie. We just saw some of it. Then we went to the pool. Right? right. I think we saw basically the end, which is yeah. like, you know, as a kid, you're like, okay, great. No story. We're good. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Um, 
And then I don't remember seeing this movie all the way through. I don't know. I mean, I, I know I had because nothing was surprising here, but I don't remember when that would be because yeah. this is not one of the regular rotations. This wasn't Godzilla vs. Megalon. This wasn't Ghidra Three-Headed Monster. It wasn't Rodan. It was, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't one of the yep. regular rotation movies. So, um, I think I'm trying to remember. I, I don't really remember anything else where we ever would have seen it though, but you might know, remember better than I would because you know dates things were released. Yeah. So. Well, the thing is I'm, I'm, I agree with you. This was not on the regular rotation that either channel five or channel 11 would show mm. of the Godzilla films. That's WNYW and WPIX, <laughs> uh, in New York, um, terror of Mechagodzilla. We saw a lot because that one was on a lot and we had that one on tape very early. So that one we saw quite a bit, but I don't recall seeing Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla all the way through until I got the commercial tape when I was in middle school, uh, yeah. where that was when it was for Christmas one year. I think I got Godzilla versus Megalon, uh, Godzilla versus Gigan, and I think Godzilla's Revenge all on tape because those are the ones I didn't have on tape that were still commercially available at that point. And uh, that's why I said this to Nathan. I always associate Godzilla versus Gigan with Christmas time for that reason, oddly enough. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, this was another one. I, I mean, obviously I knew Mechagodzilla and, you know, I knew Terra Mechagodzilla, but this one was, was so elusive because it just, like I said, was never on. I don't recall this ever being on like super scary Saturdays on no. TBS with grandpa, whereas other Godzilla movies were. So yeah, this one was, it was always one I remember reading about and a lot of people really liking when I was reading books about it. And then I saw it and I was like, wow, that's not as good as Terror Mechagodzilla. That's always been kind of my takeaway yeah. when I was younger. It's like, well, Terror Mechagodzilla is way better than this. So I was kind of eager to do a rewatch to, to really, um, you know, to, to give it a, a fair shake again and, and try it and see, see where we go. So yeah, that, that's what I said. There are some that I've obviously, I mean, I've seen them all a bunch of times at this point, but there are some that obviously saw a lot more just because we had access yeah. to them as kids. You mentioned well, Gator, the three-headed monster. Yeah. That movie it never gets old. I love Game yeah. of Three-Headed Monsters. I've well, the thing is, the thing is this, is that probably when you got this on tape in middle, for, and you were in, we were, it was Christmas break, so we're not going anywhere. Um, yeah. And outside of like basketball season, which we both were, you know, in the middle of, um, there wasn't a ton to do. I mean, okay. I'm not saying we had nothing to do, ladies and gentlemen. Don't all get up your panties in a bunch, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like we definitely had Sega Genesis to play and things like that. But like, it was not unheard of for Luke and I to gasp, oh no, watch a movie together. Yeah. Um, and we probably watched this. You're probably like, oh, sweet. We have it. And we, that's probably the last time I saw it all the way through until yeah. we, we watched it for this, which is about par for the course, because I'm trying to think as somebody who now owns the criterions and all the Blu-rays and all the stuff, right? Whatever. I don't remember. Was this ever available like on DVD? It must've been right. Yes. Th so this is one of those TriStar DVD releases. I have it. I have it. Yeah, I do. You've got it. And that's the one that's out of print that before the criterion was going for usually north of 70, $75 online. Yes. Yes. I, I remember now. Yeah. Those prices yeah. have come down a little bit, but not much. And it never got re-released. Like TriStar did, uh, for example, Godzilla versus the smog monster and Godzilla versus Gigan, And then Kraken would later pick those up and, and re-release mm -hmm. them on DVD. This one never got re-released. This one in son of Godzilla is the other one. That those they also have DVDs. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they go for a pretty good amount nowadays. Now you can just, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. No, no, I'm just saying is now, cause I remember when they came out, 
same because I had it was DVD, so it must have it was already in the mid nineties. I probably was I might have been awesome early two thousands. I want to say okay, late nineties, right. early two thousands. Right. Time so it's yeah. when I'm in in college or just out of college, and yeah. I would I would go to Best Buy every Tuesday and just scour the the uh, the new releases and the horror section some of that. And the thing is, knowing how hard it was to get certain Godzilla movies when new ones came out, I pretty much was like, I'm buying them. It's worth yeah. the ten dollars. I'm just going to buy it. It's ten bucks. I'm buying it because. We just didn't have access to things. See, the problem is nowadays, Luke, you know as well as I do, people are like, what do you mean you don't have access? Like, this yeah. movie, you can watch this movie on HBO Max right now. Yes. Like, okay. Like, there was no HBO Max. There was no streaming. You know yeah. what streaming was? It was where fish lived. Like, yeah. literally, that's what streaming is. So, you know, um, the, the key is, I think, I, yeah, I think sometimes people kind of forget, and I don't mean to be mean like that, but it's some people kind of forget that things weren't available as much back then. So, so having a good home video library, VHS, yeah. DVDs, whatever, was very important. And most people did not go into that. Um, I mean, obviously dad was an early adopter of VHS and kind of set us up to be adopters of v, uh, VHS, D, Blu-ray, DVD, whatever kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I love having the physical disc of things. I mean, that's why that got the Criterion Collection came out. Not to get us too far afield, that Criterion Collection is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. And as a physical collector, I'm like, oh my god, look at this thing. There's a book. There's discs. I mean, I don't love that the discs are in sleeves. They're not like you know in. Uh, yeah, actual... I was gonna say, store that one laying down. Don't store that yeah. one standing up, folks. Yeah. So, but that's part of the problem is like, you know, I mean that aside, but it's like a collector that, but, but just to have them available in the criterion, they're not going to look better than this. No, they're not going to ever it. look better than that. Exactly. It's just like the gamma set that came out that they've that now gamma set from arrow. That is, I mean, I'll let, let put it this way. The Godzilla movies, whether they were, you know, they were definitely a budget pictures for sure. the most part. Sure. The Gamera films, they might have been A-budget pictures for Dai. That was not an A-budget for no. at, over at Toho. And that no. those films, seeing them look that that clear on that arrow, it's it's a little weird, you know? It's so, a little weird, at least for the, the Showa ones. I mean, obviously the just, Heisei ones and all that. Right, but. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm just going to say this. And, and again, I don't want to anger anybody, but this is true. As much as I love the Criterion Godzillas, the way they look, and don't get me wrong, that's, that's awesome. I think I love the Arrow release of the Gamera movies as a set more because yeah. of how much love they're giving B movies. And I do have an affinity for B movies. Just yeah. saying. Just so. saying. No, I know that. I'll be honest with <laughs> they're, you. That, they're both amazing, though. They're both yeah. absolutely amazing. I think so. I think in the main, and this, this is going to sound stupid, in the mainstream, like an actual like mainstream, that Criterion mm -hmm. Godzilla got a ton of press and a ton of hype sure. because – Godzilla yeah. is mainstream. Gamera is oh. not, but inside like the fandom, that arrow oh, yeah. Gamera set, that is that was beloved. There's a reason why yeah. that sold out as quickly as it did. Yeah. So it and, is, and, it and is, as it, it is, is, they eventually right. And as it is, they eventually cut that up into three separate releases. Yeah. Right. And yep. I think and those releases themselves are not cheap because no. the demand is through the roof and arrow can only make them. And it's isn't that crazy though? People are like, well, who would want Gamera? Well, clearly people want Gamera. Yeah, people want so, Gamera. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, sorry. Uh, let's talk about Godzilla no, versus Mechagodzilla. <laughs> absolutely. Now, so Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, the Japanese title is Gojira Time Mecha Gojira, was released to Japanese theaters by Toho on March 21st, 1974. Now, as a note, this is the 20th anniversary film of the Godzilla series, 74, 54. Yeah. 
Uh, the movie made its way over to the United States a few years later, 1977, uh, released by Cinema Shares. Now, Cinema Shares had previously released Godzilla vs. Gigan as Godzilla on Monster Island and Godzilla vs. Megalon, famously released both of those here in the U.S. And then they put this movie out under the title Godzilla vs. the Bionic Monster. Now, this led to the threat from Universal Pictures that they were going to sue Cinema Shares, claiming that the title was too similar to their show, The Six Million Dollar Man, and of course it spin off The Bionic Woman. So Cinema Shares, knowing that they could not afford that, simply retitled the film Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster, which the film was actually uh, pretty much commonly known as Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster here in the U.S. until the film came out. Uh, uh, on home video, I want to say in like 1988, under the title Godzilla vs. Mech Godzilla, and it's used that title ever since. Uh, so let's get into the, the crew a little bit here. Our director is June Fukuda. Uh, many people kind of know June as the other Godzilla director. Uh, this was Fukuda's final effort in the Godzilla series. Previously, he directed uh, Ibra Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Gigan, and Godzilla vs. Megalon. And uh, we'll see he also got a hand in the screenplay as well. Our story has two credits. The first is uh, Shinichi Sekizawa, who wrote many, many science fiction films for, for Toho. Uh, most of the Godzilla series is uh, um, Sekizawa. You know, a lot of his uh, tropes that he put into the films, especially in the 60s, will become kind of the recurring tropes of the genre because he used them so often. The other credit for story on this goes to Masami Fukushima. And I had the, I did not have any background on Fukushima, so I looked it up. He was a science fiction author and editor. In fact, he was the editor of SF Magazine, which was one of the first and probably the most prestigious oh, yeah. science fiction magazine in Japan. Yeah. So he, he was a like a hard science fiction writer that held cool. Gaia got together with Sekizawa. I wonder if maybe it was just a concept because on Godzilla's Megalon, Sekizawa gets a story credit and he, all he did basically was say, Oh, Godzilla fights an undersea kingdom, you know? So I wonder if maybe they're like, Hey, Godzilla uh, fights a robot or something like that. You know? I don't know. So, I don't, that's, that's, I'll be honest with you. It's really cool though, that they got somebody who was that like kind of well-known in the science fiction community kind of thing. Yeah. That, you know? Right. Uh, so the screenplay credit, uh, as I said, June Fukuda gets a uh, credit as uh, helping to do the screenplay. A similar situation with Megalon, where from the story by Sakazawa, Fukuda helped flesh it out. And then the other credit goes to Hiroyasu Yamamura. And Yamamura's credits, a lot of it is tokusatsu TV. He has credits on shows including Ultra Q, Ultra 7, Mirror Man, the anime Galaxy Express 999, and uh, one of my favorites, Dinosaur War Eisenborg, which is actually a mix of anime and tokusatsu, and it is insane. It sounds crazy. Yeah. Uh, the music is by Masaru Sato, who, again, kind of the other uh, one. Uh, you know, if it, if it didn't get Ifakube, you got uh, Masaru Sato. He did uh, the soundtrack to Godzilla Raids Again, Half Human, The H-Man, Ibra Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, also Submersion of Japan. You know, the uh, very well-regarded disaster film. Our director of special effects is Teriyoshi Nakano, who had been the uh, running the effects for quite a while at this point, starting in, uh, uh, I think he was first credited as the full director of special effects in 71 with Smog Monster, but he had been around for a while. Interesting, his assistant, the assistant director of special effects, Koichi Kawakita. 
Now, Kawakita would go on to be the special effects guy in the 80s and 90s, and in fact would be the full director of special effects in 1993 for the Heisei version of Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. So I thought that was pretty cool. And finally, our producer, Tomoyuki Tanaka, legendary producer at Toho, going all the way back to the earliest days of the Showa period, all the way through um, the, the Heisei era until he passed away, always had a hand in, uh, in Godzilla, and, uh, and obviously a, a very familiar name to Godzilla fans. Now, uh, the cast, uh, we got a few, uh, a few new faces and a few returning faces here, which I thought was pretty interesting. So uh, Keisuke, that's played by uh, Masaki Daimon. Uh, that is our hero. He is uh, probably best known. He was in the Chanbara Lady Snowblood, which um, is was that that actually got released over here in the U.S. I think at some point. So that's probably what he's best known for. Besides this, he is the captain on Ultraman 80, and uh, like a lot of people in this movie, comes back in Terror of Mechagodzilla playing a different character. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It <laughs> does have a contract, right? So. Yeah. Uh, so Mazahiko, who is Keisuke's brother, played by Kazuyo, Kazuoya Oyama, uh, he played the her- the titular hero on Zone Fighter, which was uh, that was Toho's uh, giant hero series. Uh, famously, co-starred Godzilla in a few episodes, and Zone Fighter fought Gigan and King Ghidorah. Um, mm-hmm. He also appeared in the disaster film Conflagration, which is uh, one of that cycle that uh, Toho was doing in the 70s, along with like uh, Subversion of Japan and Deathquake and Prophecies of Nostradamus. Uh, Seiko, who is our archaeologist, she is played by Reiko Tajima. She has a ton of Japanese TV credits, both uh, face acting and voice acting, still working today, still had credits in 2020 and 2021 on IMDb. So very prolific uh, actress in Japan. Kuranoma, who is the leader of the Black Hole Aliens, he's played by uh, Goro Mitsumi. Um, he this this was the funniest credit. He had a few credits, mostly playing you know villains. Seemed to appear a lot more gangster type movies in science fiction. He does have a credit in the Japanese version of War of the Gargantuas. He dubbed the voice of Russ Tamblin in the Japanese version of War of the Gargantuas. <laughs> that is a weird credit. Yeah, and so. and, and Russ Tamblin. He can he can sit on it and rotate because if you ever hear the story about what Russ Tamblin did with the making of that film and then when he had to go and redub his voice, it's like I'm I am sure that Mitsumi was a much more appealing leading man than uh, than Russ Tamblin. Now, amusingly, I said that you know several of the uh, actors here reappear in Terror of Mechagodzilla. Mitsumi yeah. plays the big bad in Terror of Mechagodzilla as well, but it's a different character. Yeah. <laughs> This is funny. That's just he crazy. He looks almost exactly the same, but plays a different character. I but guess, maybe I guess, that's maybe that's maybe why I remember Terror of Mechagodzilla, and I kind of thought there was this movie for. To be honest, I kind of thought I kind of I remember Terror of Mechagodzilla, seeing it a bunch, but I kind of didn't re, kind of look at it. Going, why don't I remember this better? Because a lot of the, it looked the same. So yeah, a lot of same people. Um, maybe that's just like the criteria for being a leader of the Black Hole Aliens. You got to look like this guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm, uh, Nanbara, who we find out is our Interpol detective, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, that's uh, Shin uh, Kishida, and Shin Kishida was he has appeared in Lake of Dracula and Evil of Dracula, also on several Subaraya TV shows. Now, 
As I mentioned, there are some classic Toho stars that have small roles in this film. And I, I thought that was really quite cool because a lot of these folks, we weren't seeing them as much by this point in the 70s. But Akihiko Harada, who plays Professor Mayajima, longtime Toho stalwart, all the way back to 1954, where he played Dr. Serizawa. Uh, also, of course, appeared in Rodan, Mothra, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah, Ibrahor the Deep. He appears on uh, on Ultraman, appeared on a lot of different stuff. A lot of, if, if you know, you watch any tokusatsu from the, the Showa period, you know Akihiko Harada. Similarly, um, Hiroshi Koizumi, who plays the other professor, Professor Wakura, also very well known to Godzilla fans. Um, probably most famously, he is uh, he's in Mothra and Mothra vs. Godzilla, where he plays two Professor Murais who are not the same guy. <laughs> but uh, also oh. appeared in Godzilla Raids again. He was in Matango, Atragon, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, and some other films as well. Uh, Kenji Sahara has a very small role. He is the captain of the, the uh, Coral Queen of the cruise ship. And best known to me, and probably most uh, Godzilla fans, he is Shigeru from Rodan. Oh, yeah. You know, the, yeah, so again, you'll, you'll recognize his face for sure. Also appeared in the Mysterians. He was in Mothra, the H-Man. Again, King Kong versus Godzilla and Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Atragon, and then both Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas, and also in Destroy All Monsters and several other credits as well. So very cool to see three longtime Toho players get uh, small roles here. Now, for our suit actors, uh, Godzilla is played by Isayo Zushi. And uh, Zushi had played uh, Godzilla and some of the enemy monsters, including both Gigan and King Ghidorah on Zone Fighter. So he had some experience playing Godzilla before stepping into the role here. Um, and uh, Mechagodzilla is Kazunari Mori. Now, Kazunari Mori had worked on the show Jumborg Ace, which is a Subaraya show. Most people now... Uh, kind of know that for some of the characters that have not necessarily been recycled from Jumbo Gaze, but modern ultra characters are based on those old characters like uh, Gene Bot and Gene 9. Uh, he would also go on to play Mechagodzilla and Terra Mechagodzilla, which was uh, got to repeat the role. And then uh, uh, King Caesar and Anguirus are both played by Kenichi Kasumi. Of course, those characters don't appear on screen together. Uh, Kasumi appeared in various uh, Subaraya shows, but best known, he played Zone Fighter on Zone Fighter. So no, we've well, got, works. <laughs> yeah, we've got Kazuya Aoyama, who was like the human form of Zone Fighter, and then Kenichi Kasumi, who played Zone Fighter. So, you know, you had um, Kazumi and Zushi, who had worked together on Zone Fighter as Godzilla and, uh, um, and, uh, and, Ang and Anguirus and King Caesar. So, you know, they, they had some, some working together. I, I, don't know i'm pretty sure but i'm not 100 percent sure i couldn't find this credit that when the fake godzilla is fighting anguirus that that is zushi in the suit because it's the regular godzilla suit but then the fake godzilla is played by mori when he fights godzilla when it's godzilla versus fake godzilla so i don't i don't have i couldn't find any details on that but i believe that is the case you know you, there's a couple of godzillas running around in this movie so you got to keep things straight yeah. Well, you know, the, I found some, I don't, I don't think we need to put it here. Something about the original concepts and stuff from the script. I don't know if you mm -hmm. want to talk about it. So it said, uh, the concept of Mechagodzilla and King Caesar were not in the original first draft of the movie. This kind of stuff. I'm assuming you've heard this before. Yeah. The so film was originally. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead and uh, let, let's, oh, let's hear it. Yeah. 
The film was originally titled Giant Monsters Converge on uh, Okinawa Showdown in, oh my gosh, Zampaniski. I, mean, I probably said that wrong. It would feature Mothra, Angris, and a new alien called Garogon. Toho had been uh, uh, pining to use Okinawa in, this for, in a film since uh, the, the obtained permission to borrow to Toho to borrow Godzilla. Well, oh, and Super Super Iron Productions obtained permission from Toho to borrow Godzilla to film the the, the film called Godzilla versus Red Moon, which was never made. Yes. Um, as for the showdown in Zampaniski uh, script, Mothra was eventually dropped in favor of a character named King Barogon, which would eventually evolve into King Caesar. Gar- Garugon was then dropped in favor of ro- robotic Godzilla. King Caesar's origin as a guardian monster was uh, may also have had roots in Okinawa mythology that was aborted for the movie Godzilla vs. Space Monster, the Earth Defense Command script, um, from which the movie was eventually turned into, and this is all in Japanese, so I don't know it, whatever came out. Oh, it's Godzilla vs. Gigan, 72. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, that, so we, and Nathan and I talked about this, that there were several yeah. scripts commissioned for what eventually became Godzilla mm-hmm. versus Gigan and uh, yeah, Earth, um, you know, Earth, Earth Defense Directive and Earth Destruction Directive were both titles from those. So, yeah, that a lot of those ideas were kicking around. I mean, Megalon is in an early version of, uh, a, a, you know, one of these scripts for, I don't know if it was Return of King Ghidorah or one of the scripts that became uh, Godzilla versus Gigan. So a lot of those ideas, they never really, excuse me, never really went away. You know, they just right. kind of hung around. It's like, well, can we use this? Can we, can we, you know, rejigger this a little bit to make it work? Right. I just thought it was interesting. Cause I remember you guys talking about some of this stuff, but I was like, oh man, it ties in here too. Not even thinking about the fact that of course it would tie in here. It makes perfect sense to tie in here. You know what I'm saying? Because of, yeah. uh, when it's actually occurring. Yeah. The, so. And, and the, the main thing I, I, that I always found was interesting is that really the driver was to set it in Okinawa. Yep, And the Okinawan setting is very unique in this film and they do use it to good effect, I think. So it was very, that, that I thought was, was that, that, that survived is not really surprising. Is that as a, as a, as a through line for the story, that'll work no matter how you're, you're doing it. You know, you have the invasion and the guardian monster and all that. Right. Exactly. So I like, I mean, I, again, I think it works really well. I'm not, I'm not trying to take any away from it. I just didn't, I just didn't even think about tying those two things together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I did, absolutely. You know, so, but yeah. So our synopsis. I took the synopsis from Wikipedia. So we'll we'll go through and we'll just stop and talk our way uh, through our film here. So our story goes a little something like this: In Okinawa, an Azumi priestess has a vision of a city being destroyed by a giant monster. All right, we'll stop right there. First off, <laughs> we have to say. The jazz soundtrack of this film is astounding. <laughs> I love the jazz soundtrack. Sato goes just completely in a different direction from what would be what had been done previously, uh, to the point that when this is brought back in Final Wars, it it I mean I I stood up and applauded the first time I, I saw that scene in Final Wars where they started playing this, where the guy was listening to it as a jazz record. Right, right, yeah. So really great soundtrack here. Um, the uh, we, we see Angurus right at the beginning because we have to have a monster because of the kids. Hey, kids, monster movie, monster up front. Here's, here's Angurus. And I didn't watch this one with the kids, but I guarantee you they would be excited because they all love Angurus. Yeah. Oh, well, Angurus is, he's a, he's a top guy. 
he doesn't appear very much, but he's a top guy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's he's like you know he, he's like the Lex Luger. He's Godzilla's friend, you know. Yes. So. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and so the uh, so we get the the vision of um, of destruction that the priestess has. Okay, and what's really strange about this is that so this is stock footage that is overlaid. It's from I want it's from like some of the I think it's from the last war. A lot of stock destruction stock footage ends up from the last war. But King Ghidorah is clear in her vision, mm-hmm. and King Ghidorah does not appear in this film. He's not referenced. <laughs> he's not named anywhere in this film. So I, I am kind of at a loss why you would put King Ghidorah there. The only, the only, and this is by no means, you know, should be taken as anything other than pure conjecture on my point, is that she has a vision of a monster coming and destroying the earth. And it's an, a, an alien monster. It's an invader from outer space. So King Gator right. is an alien from outer space. So is, you know, Mechagodzilla. So theoretically, maybe the vision is filling in something that she knows as a monster from outer space, I guess. I don't know. Your guess is good as mine. I was obviously the other thing you could think is like, well, maybe, uh, you know, I mean, not that it happens anywhere else, but it obviously happened before. So it's a memory. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, we know something bad is, is coming. Um, so the, uh, so we get a little cameo from King Gator, which is always appreciated. Meanwhile, Masahiko Shimizu discovers a type of metal not found on Earth while spelunking and takes it to Professor Miyajima for an examination. An excavation led by Masahiko's brother Keisuke uncovers a chamber filled with ancient artifacts and a mural bearing the ominous prophecy. When a black mountain appears above the clouds, a huge monster will arise and try to destroy the world. But when the red moon sets and the sun rises in the west, Two monsters shall appear to save the people. Um, so uh, we get the, uh, the the first appearance here of Space Titanium. Yes. Which I, I love Space Titanium. I'm not, if it's a metal not of this earth, I'm not sure exactly how we know that it's Space Titanium. But I guess that's okay. I guess we'll just kind of roll with that a little but, bit. You know? but isn't that kind of like in, 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 uh, in Italy, when they make uh, a spaghetti western, there's, there's not a man with no name. It's always Django. Yeah, that's right. kind of like that, you know. It's 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 a titanium. I mean, it it is. You know, I mean, it kind of looks like titanium. Titanium in yeah. its uh, uh, elemental form is white. So this is silver, like you think of metallic titanium. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. And I always titanium is my favorite metal. As as dumb as it sounds to have a favorite metal, so I've always liked space titanium for that reason. Yeah. So that that was pretty neat. Um, the prophecy is the kind of the through line of this movie, right? The prophecy ties everything together and they keep coming back to it. So I, I kind of like that in that there's no reason for this prophecy to make sense. Like, well, how did the, you know, the, the ancient Okinawans know that aliens from outer space were going to bring a giant robot. But I, I do like the prophecy and how it, like I said, it, it really does tie the film together because the the aspects keep uh, happening of it and they play out in that way. Yeah, I I honestly tell you is is when I when I started watching this because again I hadn't seen this in such a long time, it was like I had never again I know I'd seen the movie but I was like rediscovering this thing for the first time, and I'm like okay well all right let's see what's going on here because I know there's 
some people don't love this movie and some people really love this movie. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm kind of new to this movie, you know, kind of thing. And plus I'm also watching on the criterion. Uh, yes. so it's like super clean. Like it's the best version it's ever going to look, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, it's this, the good that the, as we start building into the story and everything else that goes with it, it's, it's, I mean, again, you, you we know where it's going to go because we know the ending, but it's like, okay, well, I wonder where this would go. So I wonder people, when they first saw this, Right. We're wondering, especially when Ghidra shows up in her vision, I wonder if they were like, oh man, it's going to be Ghidra again. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I wonder if that's what they were thinking. Yeah. I, I could totally see that. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to throw him off base a little bit. I, I like Ooh. also the prophecy because I like when, I mean, they're, they, the film, the Godzilla series, especially in the Showa era, are, are science fiction films, you know? Right. Right. They right. have their fantastical elements, but they're science fiction. So here introducing a prophecy that comes true adds a sort of supernatural aspect to it. Sure. And I like when they mix that little bit of supernatural in there that, you know, there's, you know, they, they, they it's, it's like they say in, you know, there's more in heaven and earth than imagine in your philosophy, which they famously, of course, put in the American version of King Kong versus Godzilla. Because when I think Shakespeare, I think <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla, <laughs> you have to watch it in the original, you know, the original, yes, yeah. but, uh, okay. So, um, Keisuke is joined by archaeologist Aseko Kaneshiro, who translates the prophecy and takes a statue bearing the likeness of Okinawa's guardian monster, King Caesar, to study. Two men stalk them, with one claiming to be reporter, while the other attempts to steal the statue but fails and flees. Okay, so introducing Seiko, who is the archaeologist. I love the casual sexism here, as they say, hey, you can't go in there. She's like, oh, it's okay, I'm the archaeologist. It's like, what? A yeah. girl archaeologist, you know. Yeah, that that stuff wouldn't fly nowadays. Yeah. You know, in Japan it might still. That's the thing, but uh, uh, no, not not in the U.S. We we couldn't no. go with that. Um, and then uh, we get the little statue of King Caesar, which will be our MacGuffin for quite a while. And we get to hear King Caesar's um, history as the guardian of Okinawa. I am not going to lie. Uh, I am. I fully accept the fact that I am an American. Every time I go to a, uh, a Chinese restaurant or a Japanese restaurant that has a Shisa dog sitting outside, mm -hmm. I think of King Caesar and that if, if things go down bad at the Epic Buffet, that, you know, King Caesar will be there to help out. So the thing is, I know they call it the, 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 where King Caesar gets his name from, obviously from the Japanese, right? Kind of thing. Um, but there's, uh, what it says another Japanese name for it is, uh, God, uh, Kon Konamin, K-O-M-A-I-N-U. It means lion dog. So they might have another name for it too. So they could have gone with the more Japanese version, but I yeah. think calling it King Caesar makes it like, or King Caesia, right? Kind of thing, right? That's what yeah, the, okay. it's Caesar is, is a, a, uh, adaptation of a, a Shisa. Yeah. Know? Right. Kind of thing. It's I, folks, if you have not guessed, I do not, uh, I'm not great with all the names and stuff. I can tell you stuff that happens, but I'm not great with all the names all the time. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was really, uh, I think by doing that, I think this movie kind of changes instead of being, uh, how to put this, like you know, we've had like a thing from, from outer space before we've had like, you know, something like, like Rodan came out of the volcano, like all that, like uh, this is now giving us something more in the line of like Demajan, you know, kind of yes. thing for the, the guardian. And wasn't there supposed to be a film where, like, that's the other one where Godzilla is supposed to be with the, the protector was supposed to be like Demajan or something like that. That's right. That was one of the, uh, in one, but it never one happened, or two, of, 
No, it never happened. Yeah. In, in a couple, I want to say in two of the treatments, again, for the film that would become Godzilla vs. Gigan, there was a Majin that right. in one of them, it's like the big alien brain used Gigan's jet cutter to cut open the back of this Majin statue to stick himself in to make himself a body. And the it was Majin Tool was his name. And the Majin oh, right. was going to fight with the hero monsters. And it would have been kind of like Godzilla teaming with Daimajin. So, yeah, I, you're right. I didn't even think of that. This does kind of fit in with the Daimajin, with the the Guardian Protector. You right. know, King Caesar is not as mean as Daimajin is. No, no. But <laughs> uh, but it does really fit with that. And again, that kind of gets in, like you said, with that supernatural aspect. So that, again, it, it is definitely, especially considering that by the next film, we are way harder oh, yeah. into science oh, fiction yeah. again. Yeah. This does it does a good job of differentiating itself. The other thing too is for for those of you who want to hear Luke and I talk about uh, the the original Damajin, Damajin, uh we covered it. Uh, God, I don't we, remember how long we covered the third one back in 2020, I think. Yeah, we covered. Um, we covered. That's right. We covered the third. One. I'm trying to remember when we covered it. it was a while. It seemed like a while ago, but it's been it's been did. a while. Yeah. Yeah, but you can definitely see that he's not a nice guy. No, like he ain't like, Hey kids, let's do this. It's like, Hey, sort of death. Like what? (laughs) So sorry. Don't mean to interrupt me, but yeah, the next movie definitely goes much more into the science fiction aspects of things, which is why I think this one stands out as being different. Yeah. Let's be very honest. You've already mentioned how many people are in this movie and Terra Godzilla and people, I guarantee you have conflated these two movies into one movie in their heads, you know, but they are very different in the fact that this one is much more about, um, you know, the idea of it being, again, even though the, the, some of the monsters are the same, excuse me, um, having the idea that this is dealing with like this, this guardian, it's very about, about you know, uh, heritage and tradition and spirituality and whatever that stuff that's there. Is there any of that in Terramet Godzilla? I don't think no. so. Terra I mean, Godzilla is, like I said, it, it's very much about science fiction because it deals yeah. with, it deals with, um, cyborgism, right. it deals with, um, the scientific community specifically, you know, ridiculing Mifune is what drives him to hate mankind is this ridicule he received as a scientist. You know, um, Titanosaurus is a, is a dinosaur, a, sci- a you know, a, a creature of nature. Yeah. Not a creature of, of myth like King Caesar. Right, right, right. I yeah. think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so if you look at it that way, that totally changes things. I mean, yeah. it, it totally, uh, you know, and and, it, and we talked about this, I think, when we, most when we talked about, we talked about God versus, Godzilla versus Smog Monster, right? Um, there were making movies, because this, this is the 70s, right? Things, they had movies that came out that were kind of different. I don't mean as, gro- like, 180 degrees different like smog monster was, but like they had different people making movies. They were not trying to make the same cookie cutter movie every time because they were trying to explore it being a little different, but at the same time ground it within the same reality of Godzilla's world that, you know, we're here and you still had to have, you know, your, your things had to make sense in what's happening. You didn't want to change. You didn't want to make Godzilla go from being, you know, a good guy to being the bad guy to being what like it's still grounded in that same reality, but not to make the same movie over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, no, that's so the, uh, we get to see the black mountain when, uh, when, uh, Seiko is, uh, and Keisuke are on the plane, we see the black mountain. So the prophecy has already begun, you know, which we thought was cool. And the black mountain is formed by a giant thunderhead of clouds. 
but it looks for yep. all the world like a giant black mountain floating in the sky. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. And then they are attacked at um, at the uh, at the professor's. Uh, I guess it's his, it's his house that they're attacked at. And I just love this fight because the the guy for the uh, the black hole aliens uh, little hench guy here uses the iron claw. He does. Yep. <laughs> Baron von Raschke and the von Erichs would be proud. Yes, absolutely. Uh, another little thing they they there it's a kind of a throwaway line on the radio. They say that there has been an earthquake detected with a wait for it moving epicenter, and we know what that means in a monster movie. That means there's a monster underground. Moving epicenter equals monster. Everybody knows that. <laughs> All right, so. Following the appearance of a black cloud resembling a mountain, as we mentioned, Godzilla emerges from Mount Fuji and begins a destructive rampage despite having become tolerant of humans within the past years. Godzilla's ally, Angurus, confronts him only to be nearly killed and forced to retreat. All right, so air quotes up to the microphone, Godzilla shows up at the 18 minute 50 second mark in this movie so we're about good uh, almost 20 minutes in before our titular star shows up and he just goes and starts destroying stuff and we've talked about this before on this show that teriyushi nakano he could blow some stuff up when he when he had yeah. some money he could make some yeah. good effects but even on a cheap budget that man could blow some stuff up and he we get some good explosions here um in, in the initial appearance of godzilla and the Godzilla suit here, it's the regular Godzilla suit playing fake Godzilla. So, yes. spoilers, spoilers, everybody. Spoilers for a movie from, you know, Cheese and Rice, what, 45 years, years ago? 45 years, years ago, ago. Yeah. 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 So, it, this, is, this is fake Godzilla. But uh, it is it is very, a bit strange to see. So, just to see, you know, Godzilla pur- purposely going out and destroying things, which I don't think we had really seen since Destroy All Monsters which was a few years ago at this point. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, that's part of the story. And, you know, and they, they question it in the story. So I thought that was cool. And then fighting with Angurus, who in the dub is called Angora. Yeah. Like, like a sweater. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Angurus doesn't do so well in this movie. So the thing is the suit that you're talking about, cause I was reading this, um, originally, it was just the head from the water prop that was used in the in the in uh, seventy three, um, but then they attached it to a suit that had a metal uh, had like metal uh, spots exposed on the arm. Um, like I don't. I mean, again, I don't. Again, well, I'm not. That yeah. That we we see that because so yeah. So one in in the initial scenes of the fake Godzilla attacking, like right. the, uh, destroying the buildings. That's the regular Godzilla suit. Right. Right. In the right. scene with Angurus. Yeah. It's that one. It's that, that like hybrid suit so that they can rip the skin off and you can see the metal beneath. Yeah. That's what I figured. I figured they weren't tearing up. Obviously they didn't make a suit to tear it up and yes. I knew it had to be from something, but I didn't remember that it was from, it was this, it was the sw- the head from the swimming suit then used. Yeah. So, um, the one thing I can say is this, <clears throat> Excuse me, as folks who have heard uh, Luke and I speak about um, uh, Kong versus Godzilla, the you know to the the new movie, right? Um, where we kind of thought at first we were, we talked about like, well, it'd be great. I mean, would it be cool if like you know Godzilla attacks everything? Man, this could be totally a mech Godzilla right here, right? Right. Like literally, it's from this movie. Like, I mean, people would have been like, they're ripping off seventy four, and it's like I get it, but like it works so well because when this, I'm sure when this came out, no one thought. 
that there's going to be a that's that's not Godzilla. It looks just like it's Godzilla. It's going to see him on the screen, right? Yeah. You know, you believe your eyes, and so it works well though. Um, Godzilla going through and doing that stuff, but you're just like you start wondering, like, okay, like if this is Godzilla, why is he turned? Why? Well, you know, it makes you start questioning things. You want people to not have. I mean, to be honest with you, you want people to be interested in your movie, obviously, but you want people to kind of like, huh, I wonder what's going on. Peak yeah. their interest to keep them in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they do a good job that here with the prophecy because they say, I guess Godzilla is the monster that was prophesized, but he is an ally of humanity. Right. So even the characters are confused, which I like. I like that because it it does play into the mis- the mystery angle. Yeah. The the fight I, with Anguirus is um, it's funny because of course the first monster Godzilla fought was Anguirus way yes, back in. Uh, 1955. Um, but Anguirus does not, he, he did much better back in Godzilla raids again. I mean, he gets, uh, he gets just kind of beaten pillar to post the, the classic pick them up and slam them, uh, technique, which has appeared in a few movies in a row now appears here with Anguirus getting thrown around. And, uh, and then always, of course, you know, it's bad when they grab your jaw and rip it, you know, try and break your jaw and the blood comes out. That is yeah. in a Godzilla movie. That's like, you're finished, you know, stick a fork in you. You're done. And of course, that's a callback directly to King Kong, which yep. we know King Kong was so influential in getting Godzilla even created, you know, way back in, you know, kind of thing. Like the, the original idea of Godzilla is inspired by, you know, King Kong has its inspirations that uh, inspired by King Kong 33, of course. So and yeah. that being when Kong fights the Allosaurus in 33, you know, he rips the mouth open and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, as you mentioned, in that fight, we do get the piece of skin being knocked off by Anguirus and reveals the little chip of metal on his shoulder. So it's like, Ooh, what is this now? If only the title <laughs> hadn't said Mechagodzilla, maybe I'd be, right. you know, <laughs> maybe I would know. Well, the other thing is too, real quick. Cause again, obviously Mecha Kong, right. You know, we make mechanic Kong really technically. Yes. Right. Um, which was so, so popular and so not owned by Toho. So they clearly yeah. can't use it. Um, I mean, there, there's no bigger, I, I always said, I say this to Haley all the time. I said, if I made a movie and there's Titanosaurus, Mechanicon, uh, Gorosaurus and the Gargantuas, that's my movie, right? Kind of thing, right? Yeah. Those are my favorite things. But Mechanicon, you know, obviously not being owned, the idea of going to uh, Mecha Godzilla, right? I, I understand why that happened and, and I get the idea like they didn't own whatever, but it just seems so natural that right. no one even thought about this before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So see, I always kind of attributed it to the rise of popularity of Mecca in Japan in the seventies, yes, yeah. you know, cause yeah. you gotta remember like mobile suit Gundam was, I want to say the very early seventies and the, uh, I mean, we had had super robots for, for several years at this point, but Mechagodzilla is not a super robot. He's not like Mazinger Z or Rydeen or, you know, those types of super robots. He is more like a real robot. He is a piloted machine that has weapons on him. So he kind of fits in with that idea of his mobile suit Gundam kind of outside of what we talk about here on Earth Destruction Directive, but was a hugely influential and popular manga that became an anime. And the, the idea of real robot Mecha. I think kind of grew naturally out of that, that hugely popular, uh, property. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And now you look at it now, it's like, well, of course there's a robot version of them. Of course there is. Yeah. You know? So you're right. right. It, it definitely yeah. was a natural outcropping. 
I'm just saying though, too, because you know as well as I do, um, whether however people might have felt about King Kong Escapes, the big takeaway from that movie is Mechanicon. He yeah. is so much bigger than that movie. Um, you know, even he's bigger than any he, he even has any rights to be from that movie. Yeah. Uh, which is just, but but he's so beloved, and so many people, like even to this day, love Mechanicon, and he's literally only ever shown up there. Right. You know, so, yeah. um, and of course, but in all fairness, though, folks, Mechagodzilla in any iteration of Mechagodzilla, no matter which, you know, you know, version one, version two, uh, the one you know, I forgot the name of it. You know what the the one has a name, right? Has Kiru. S, Kiru, right? Yeah. No matter what version of, of even 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 the new one from the new movie, the one in Ready Player One. Yeah. Mechagodzilla is is a top guy. He is a top heel. He's yeah. top of the food chain. Well, you know what's great is, about, and the, the, so Mechagodzilla, he's like the number five, right? You've got the big mm -hmm. four and then Mechagodzilla. Yeah. And he's the one that works best as a pivot, him and Mothra, because, but Mothra is even when, you know, even more so than Mothra, because he can be the heel or he can be the baby face. Like in the nineties, even though he was fighting Godzilla, Mechagodzilla is sort of the baby face in that movie, you know? Because he's the I one so. created by G Force that's there to you know fight for humanity, you know. Yeah, but you're Whereas still rooting here, for Godzilla. But it's the same. Yes, you are. But it's the same with Kiru. You know, oh, Kiru yeah, so. is yeah. you know he again he's created to defend humanity. Yes. So yes. it really depends on what Godzilla's like. Yeah. And the thing about Mech Godzilla is the merchandising. The, oh my god! Oh my god! The merchandising and the great. I always remember this. Everybody loves making like kits and stuff of Mechagodzilla because you don't got to worry about seam lines. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh. That's the big, it's one of the biggest things when you're, when you're putting a snap, when you're putting a kit together, whether it's a resin, vinyl, plastic, it doesn't matter. There ain't no seam lines on a, uh, you can have a hard edge there. Why? Well, that's where the metal meets, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Cause he's a robot. Right. <laughs> as long as it stays together, yeah. you know, you're in good shape, you know, so. Uh, so Keisuke arrives shortly after to check on Masahiko and Miyajima. Uh, this, this scene, just two things I didn't mention. First off, the professor's pipe that he has created mm -hmm. that I'm, I know that it's very Bondian that this pipe yes. is also a signal scrambler. And I can't imagine yes. that coming into play in the final reel. No, no. no. Um, but I also want to mention his sweater. Wonderful sweater. Yes. The professor is wearing in this scene because it's the seventies. So <laughs> Again, a very, I mean, we know that your, your, uh, your, uh, discussed off air podcast about sweaters, you know, you, yeah. there's always in the lookout. So <laughs> sweater cast coming down. soon. Yeah. Uh, sweater so. cast and check. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Godzilla's rampage continues until gasp, another Godzilla emerges and battles it during the fight. The first Godzilla is revealed to be Mecha Godzilla, a massive robot armed with advanced weaponry made up of the same strange metal revealed to be space titanium. Godzilla is severely wounded, but inflicts some damage on Mecha Godzilla before both monsters retreat. Professor Miyajima hypothesizes, based on Mecha Godzilla's advanced technology and composition, that the robot is an alien super weapon. So, this scene. You know, fake Godzilla wading through the city, destroying it with his yellow atomic beam. Yes. Okay. That and the explosions and the models and all that. This is some just straight up monster on the loose stuff, but this is fantastic. 
This is yep. so well done on such a small budget that they have. It reminds me kind of in um, now this film had a slightly larger budget than Godzilla versus Megalon, but you know Godzilla yeah. vs. Megalon, most of the the footage is the, the the new footage has them fighting in a field. You know, yes. the one new scene has Megalon destroying the dam. That kind of reminds me of this, where a lot of the film takes place in more rural areas. But this scene of them wading through the city is really well done. And I really, it, it comes off so nice, especially now restored and on that, uh, on the criterion box, this mm-hmm. looks really good, especially shooting at, at, you know, in, in air quotes of the mic at night, you know, shooting a dark scene with all the lights and everything really good stuff. And then right at, it's right at 26 minutes and 50 seconds. It's uh, Godzilla versus Godzilla. As as yeah. the real G shows up, and then it's it's on like Donkey Kong at that point. Yeah. So the thing is, um, and I I know why they didn't do this, but you know, still we can kind of like hope, right? Uh, to me, as once you kind of tell that it's, you kind of see the metal, you're like, what is going on here? Mechagodzilla should just stick his hand straight and blow his fingertips off as he shoots the missiles out of them. Yeah. Like. I know it'd be a lot. It'd be too much to do with the budget and stuff. And it'd probably be too much like gore for kids, but you'd be like, what are we even looking at? Like, what is he doing? You know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. Just keep turning the knob to no, no, no. <laughs> right. Kind of thing. Um, sorry. Still Simpson reference. No, the, uh, the whole the thing is that like, that would be to me something different. I mean, I, I, I think the, the main thing is too, is remember, I mean, People didn't have these movies at home to watch. You had to see them in the theater. So when Mechagodzilla's, you know, the fake Godzilla's got a different color beam, you might be like, wait, was his beam always that color? Like, yeah. you know, like, I thought his beam was this color, you know, like that I think is a cool little aspect. We have the luxury now of being able to reference things and have images and all whatever. But back in the day, you didn't have that stuff readily available, you know? No. But if you did, it was probably in a magazine in black and white. It's in black and white, so you didn't really know anyway. Yeah. But uh, the the reveal where Godzilla hits Mechagodzilla with the beam, and you see the whole like big chunk of metal. Yeah. And they just say the hell with this, and they burn off the skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. It is really cool. I'm not saying that's not cool, but I, 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 yeah, it's just so funny. If like his finger explodes, what happened to his finger? And a missile hits Godzilla, and he's yeah. like, "What the?" You know. Yeah. Um. So that this this whole sequence this lays the plot bare. We see. So, you know, as during this battle, you know, Mechagodzilla is revealed and we get all the, I call them the otaku shots where they show all the different angles of his weapons and such. Yep. yep. You know, um, we get to see the, uh, the black hole aliens, you know, and, uh, Kuranoma, ha- you know, he's a bad guy in a Japanese movie cause he's has a cigar. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's that Yakuza thing, right? You know, with smoking a cigar like that. Right. Um, the, we also get the, uh, the spinny hands. Of the missiles, you know, that, that to me is always the show of Mechagodzilla, the spinny hands, you know, that yep. then lock into place to fire the missile. That is more than anything else. That is the, the image that has stayed with me since childhood of Mechagodzilla is the spinny hands, mm-hmm. you know, to the point that where, uh, with the claw hands that, um, legendary Mechagodzilla has, that could spin mm-hmm. around kind of made me think of that too. I, that had to of be, course. yeah. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, because there's um, yeah. so many nods in, in, in all of the legendary movies. There's so many nods to the past because they understand. I mean, those the people making the legend, however anyone might feel about the legendary Godzillas and the Kong and all that stuff, 
those movies are made by people who love making these kind of movies. This isn't just someone doing a cash grab. You know what I'm saying? So right. I think all those nods are all intentional. I think that's always going to be an intentional nod there and there. Yeah. So the, the always odd thing about this though, is that, okay, so fake Godzilla has a breath weapon that he fires mm-hmm. out of his mouth. Mecha Godzilla yep. instead shoots his eye beams. Yep. I, I never have quite understood that. Yep. <laughs> Me either. I don't know. No, well, I, yeah. I, it I, just I, is. I, you know what? It looks cool. That that and that yeah, overrules everything. That's what I'm saying. Is like it looks good. So yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, in this fight, we get a beam lock. You know, which is always uh, popular in, uh, especially in um, in, uh, in more so in anime, I think. But we get that in giant monster stuff too. It's a sure. beam lock uh, between the eye beams and the atomic breath, and then the the it explodes, and we see Godzilla fall back into the harbor, bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, very kind of backwards, but a few months back, I covered Gamera 2 Advent of Legion. Yeah. There's a very similar scene with Gamera and the queen Legion with a beam lock where the hero monster takes the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit more graphic for Gamera than it is here, but I, I mean, that is still pretty bad. I mean, it's all the blood burbling up in the, in the, in the water and all that. I mean, they had, they had started introducing gore in the films, but, uh, that was a that that's that's a quite a um, a large amount of gore for a Godzilla film. Yeah, and considering how bloodless so many other ones are, right? Like absolutely bloodless. This was this always strikes me as being, you know, I guess I guess it, it needs to be there though. It makes sense though, you know, because you have to believe that Godzilla is really hurt. Yes, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mech Godzilla also hurt. We get to see Mech Godzilla retreat, which is the first chance we get to see the flying Mech Godzilla puppet. Right. Which is, uh, again, it's, 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 reminds me a lot of like the flying Gigan, right? It's just the, or really going back to flying Ultraman, if you want to go to Subaraya. So, uh, but again, having him be able to fly helps, you know, mm-hmm. you can have him leave scenes quickly, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> and it also ties into the, the real robot thing of being able to have the boot jets and fly, you know? Yeah. And the, and the thing is, I mean, think about that. How many, like you were mentioning in like, and all the, uh, the, um, the anime and uh, the like stuff like that. how many super robots, right. They, they can find that's the thing that can, they can do, Yeah, you know, kind of right. thing like, like, but like you knew, like you gotta be, I mean, he didn't turn into a, it's not a transformer, you know, he didn't turn into a plane, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, but it makes perfect sense that he can fly. And that's very influential. You can see that even, I mean, we see that now. I mean, like, yeah. Think of how many like, robots. Well, that robot can fly. Of course he can. Everyone buys it. It's and, all, they fly with boot jets. Yeah, yeah of course, you know, kind Absolutely. of thing. All, all versions of Mechagodzilla have been able to do that. At least, um, trying to think the legendary one doesn't, we don't see him fly, but I think it's implied that he can, you know, yeah, but all the, fly. all the he Japanese has, ones can so. fly. Yeah. 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 Just saying it's, it's, it's just one of those things that a robot, like, it doesn't matter what the, who the robot is. It could be on anything. It could be a Futurama or something like that. You're like, yeah. he's just start flying with boot just like, of course, yeah. but where else would they be? You know, right. kind of thing. You can put them in the hands. Yeah. How do you eat it with your hands? <laughs> Every time we get donuts or a candy bar, I say that to the kids. If they've never seen an episode of Seinfeld, I have no idea. Oh, that's uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So after Mechagodzilla oh. retreats, we go again with the black hole aliens. Some a couple, this is the first of a couple of really well done composite shots Yeah. where we have the Mechagodzilla on its gantry. And we see the black hole aliens in front of it. 
So very nicely composited. And that mm-hmm. still looks pretty good even on the Blu-ray. Sometimes those composite yeah. shots, they, they don't hold up. That one still looks pretty right. nice. Yeah. We said we've dad and I find that a lot of times with the anytime the um Harryhausen his traveling mats always still look good. Um yes. but you get to some movies where that you know you got compo- you're like uh it's not working. You kind of really see the actors clearly in a different, you know, different, you know, they're standing in front of like a screen or stuff like that. It's just sometimes, you know, I understand. I want I want the movies as clean as possible so I can see everything, but sometimes being clean doesn't help certain effects. This time they still look good though. So, you know, yeah, more power to them. Mm-hmm. So Keisuke and Seiko, they take a cruise ship to take the statue back to the temple, thinking no one will find them on the cruise ship. Right. Uh, but they are confronted by the thief. Once again, during the fight, the skin on half of the stranger's face melts away, revealing an ape like visage. The intruder then attempts to kill Keisuke, but a bullet from an unseen gunman kills him before Keisuke and Seiko catch a brief glimpse of the mysterious reporter. So this is on the Coral Queen. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a real cruise ship that um, yep. it, it was also known as the Queen Coral. So it, it has gone by both names. Um, and this, that they're really on, and that's, they're really in the dining hall. They're really on the deck. I love anytime you can throw a deck chair at somebody as part of a fight that, that is a, you know, that, yeah. that gets a thumbs up from me. Um, we get the, uh, there's a whole subplot here where they have two versions of the King Caesar statue and the, you know, the, the alien steals one. And when he's shot, he falls overboard with it, but they have a second one. So, okay. I mean, I, I guess it's like a fa- little false cliffhanger in there. Um, the main takeaway from this is the, uh, the black hole aliens are revealed and they very much, they're clearly based on planet of the apes, but, um, they really look like the, uh, the apes from time of the apes more than <laughs> planet of the apes. I was waiting for you to say it. I didn't want to be the guy, but for, so real quick, for those of you who, um, are big planet of the apes fans, just like my, I'm, I, I'm a huge, the original movies. I love them. I think, right. Even the new ones, the new ones that can, the 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 uh it's tim rise at a planet of the apes yeah and... the, the tim burton one wasn't great but yeah. like the, the 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 three new ones are outstanding right but they're right. all cg yeah. when you go back to the original planet of the apes the makeup effects done there um there is a documentary called making apes which is outstanding about the how they came about doing it um like how the westmores and all the people like are involved in all this stuff it's super interesting and if you enjoy that uh, you know, if you like Planet of the Apes and stuff, that's worth checking out called Making Ape, Make Making Apes. Um, but when that happens and it gets pulled away, I immediately, of course, my mind goes to uh, Time of the Apes because yep. of, you know, it's Japanese. So, you know. Well, so here's the thing. So uh, the Time of the Apes was the localization of uh, Saru no Gundam, which translates mm-hmm. to Army of the Apes. 1974, same year as this film, uh, yes. it started airing in October 1974, so a few months after this was released, but that right. just speaks to the popularity of Planet of the Apes, you know, yeah. that everybody wanted to rip off Planet of the Apes at that point, you know, because yeah. uh, Planet of the Apes would come out a few years earlier than this, but really was popular by this point, so the ape aliens of the black hole aliens are uh, are, are featured here. Um, you know, again, it, it's a, kind of a running fight. This, uh, I remember yes. when I was a kid, I never really liked this because I wanted to get back to the story, but now I kind of like it. It has a kind of a James Bond feel mixed with right. like a, like a Japanese detective show. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, it also has a dummy being thrown off the side of yes, a boat. Yes, which you love. I know you I love, love that. Everybody loves a dummy fall. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not Dr. Butcher MD, but what is? What, <laughs> what is? is Dr. Butcher MD for a dummy fall? I had to show that one time. I made reference to it, and I was like, well, I'll show you. And I had to find the clip on YouTube just of that. And the kids are like, well, I'm like, just forget the other stuff. Just watch this. And they go, the arm comes off midair. <laughs> I'm like, it's the best. I go, it hits the ground, explodes. And then it exploded. Sorry, then it exploded. Oh. oh yes. So, um, but they they so they they have the 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 real statue, not yeah. the, the fake right, statue. Right, right. Uh, okay. So, uh, concurrently, Godzilla arrives on Monster Island during a thunderstorm and is struck by lightning multiple times, reinvigorating himself. Uh, so okay. So we got the wounded Godzilla goes and gets struck by lightning a bunch of times, and it's like, so Godzilla's really just trying to be the Japanese King Kong here then. Yeah, I mean that's where they come down to. That's part of me wonders was this supposed to be Kong? You know, because I think lightning. And I'm just joking. I know it's now not see, supposed to be Kong. Now you see, that so. would be a movie though. If aliens built a mechanical King Kong and covered him with fur, mm-hmm. and then it was King Kong and King Caesar, a bunch of hairy guys all fighting yeah. at the end, basically. Right. I, the saying is they they've never done it. No. Book it. Let's go. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um so uh Masahiko Miyajima and his daughter Ikuk- Ikuku uh explore the cave where the space titanium was found but are captured by the ape-like aliens from the third planet of the black hole who plan to use Mechagodzilla to conquer Earth uh their leader Kurunoma forces Miyajima to repair the robot so um when they're when they're heading up to um they're driving into Okinawa to go explore the cave they pull into the hotel and Masahiko is driving a Mazda RX four. And, yeah. uh, you know, I tried to figure out what the car was in, um, uh, vampire doll in the last, in the, yeah, the Gaiden. Yeah. And I never was able to get a good look at it. This one I managed to find because of the way that the rear windows are set up. I managed to pull up enough Japanese cars from 1973, 1974 to find it. So very neat to see a Mazda RX four. Pretty sure that was not sold. Uh, here in the United States, I know eventually, we, famously, the RX-7, of course, what was sold right. here oh, in the U.S. Yeah. for many years. Uh, but very neat to see that. I, I always, uh, you know, you're, I'm kind of like you. I like watching the period films to see the cars. You know, you get to yeah. see some some real classics, and it's neat Dad with loves the Japanese that. films. Oh yeah, Dad's Dad loves that. watching when we watch a movie. He's like, "Look, did you see that car in the street?" I'm like, yes, Dad. Like <laughs> to me, they're old old '50s cars. He's like, "Oh, that was a this," and that was. I'm like, I'm not a car guy. Yeah. Like I've never been a car guy. Cars take me from where I got to go to where I got to, you know, where I am to where I got to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're talking about bullet or vanishing well, yes. point. Bullet and vanishing point are pretty much it for me. You know, kind of thing. I'm like, well, it's not the, it's not the bullet Mustang. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> or it's not the um, challenger from vanishing point, but. Mm-hmm. I think I may have misspoke. I'm ahead of myself on that car. It's the wrong one. That's, that's the car that, uh, that Keisuke is driving when him and Seiko okay. go. Uh, but before, uh, before we get to, to that, the there so okay so they've capped the black hole aliens have captured you know Mazahiko the professor and they're gonna scald them to death that's like their torture method to get the yeah. uh, to get the professor to to do it it's like again it's very James Bond yeah, yeah. throw him into the death trap room and like oh, oh everything's really hot it's full of steam you know it's seventy four so Bond's still popular I mean you know yeah well we just you know. had nineteen seventy four we just had Man with the Golden Gun so we're yeah. we're 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 still we're on the upswing because the next one is Spy Who Loved Me, which was a big hit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. But, but I mean, you're now into the Roger Moore, James Bonds, which were, to be very honest, they are campier than the Sean Connery ones. Um, they're very different. I, not to say they're different. They are different. The way that Bond is portrayed is different because Roger Moore is a very different Bond than Sean yeah. Connery. Right. But that's what that's what you're getting here. That kind of James Bond. Because remember, James Bond was, you know, again, like it's like Godzilla, King Kong, you know, uh, Ronald, you know, uh, Ronald McDonald, you know, Santa Claus. Yeah. They're bigger than the, their names, you know, kind of thing. And that's what it is. So, right. What's interesting, of course, is that uh, Toho, of course, has a connection with James Bond with uh, the use yes. of uh, Akio Wakabashi and Miyahama in uh, uh, You Only Live Twice. Yeah, uh, where the, the the two as the two Japanese girls in that movie. Uh, while Seiko checks into a hotel and guards the statue, Keisuke leaves to meet Masahiko, only to encounter the reporter who reveals that his real name is Nanbara and that he is an Interpol agent who has been tracking the aliens. After Nanbara and Keisuke infiltrate the alien base and free the prisoners, Keisuke and Aikiku leave to pick up Seiko and the statue, while Miyajima, Nanbara, and Masahiku stay behind, only to be recaptured. By Kuro Numa. So, 51 minutes in, we find out that this reporter is an agent of Interpol. Uh, I like this. I don't mean to burst this film's bubble. That's not how Interpol works. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. Interpol is an org- is an organization that uh, you know is uh, exists to exchange information and to provide as a liaison and uh, communication and cooperation between uh, you know police forces. They are not an international police force. They do not have the power to arrest anyone. They do not have special agents. Uh, none of that. So Look, all this logic you're applying here just is just getting in the way of the story. Everyone yeah, knows I the mean, name Interpol. Go absolutely. For it. it is it is very much a Japanese concept that it would be an international yeah. not not like an international spy. An international police organization is a very yeah. Japanese concept. Yes, very, you know? very it's yeah. like we, we follow the law. We you know, Rules of law are very important to us, and we're international, and we're cooperating with everyone. But no, that's not how <laughs> Interpol works. For, for the purposes of our, uh, of our, of our story, we'll, we'll go with it. Sure. Um, yeah. When they, get, when, uh, when they break in to free the prisoners, th- this is only in the dub, but it's so great. One of the black hole aliens pulls his pistol, his, his laser pistol, and actually yeah. says, each for the sky. <laughs> and at this point in my life, all I can think of is reach for the sky. <laughs> oh, well, we could also go back to like uh, posse, you know, reach for the sky, pop, 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 you know, kind of pop, pop, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, See, Toy Story just ripping off posse. Everybody that's all it was. Yeah. 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 The other one that's good is uh, when they have the. Um, um, the, uh, the, the, the aliens have Nambar and all them cornered. He says, goodbye, stupid earth men. <laughs> You're stupid, stupid mind, stupid. You say, <laughs> I've had about enough. I'm not having you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the next morning, a lunar eclipse results in a red moon and a mirage of the sun rising in the West. Seeing this, the team realizes they have to awaken King Caesar. They meet with the priestess and her grandfather and place the statue in the temple, revealing King Caesar's resting place. Okay, so uh, this is where um, we, uh, so th- leading up to this, okay, the black hole aliens still trying to kill these people. Right. Okay? They conveniently are driving a yellow car so that when they blow up the car with the with the bomb, 
it will be the same footage of the car blowing up as it is from Godzilla versus Guy game. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, then not they, not, man. That's hey, hey, it, it's like, we don't need to f- blow something else up. We have that already. We have car yeah. blowing up at home. You know, we have car blowing up at home. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then they, um, they're, they're fighting with the alien. The, the other Interpol agent shows up and they're fighting with an alien. We get a, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. An alien ar- arterial spray right, yeah. coming out of this guy at the temple. And it's like, oh my, you yeah. know? <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Oh my. So, you know, it's, it's very, very gruesome here. And this leads us into the next part where, um, you know, uh, uh the black hole aliens, they, they launch Mechagodzilla and then the priestess, sings the song. So an hour and three minutes into the movie, we get King Caesar. He is, we see him in the mountain and he won't wake up and Mechagodzilla is fast approaching. So the priestess sings the King Caesar song, which, uh, it's probably not as catchy as the Mothra no. song, but it's pretty good in its yeah. own, right? It doesn't get stuck in your head. Like Mata. Yeah. But nothing gets stuck in your head like the Mothra song. <laughs> Um, so King Caesar, as we said, he's based on a Shisa or, yes. uh, the, or a, a, uh, a, 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 I think it's a yokai type of monster. That was the wolf dog that, mm-hmm. uh, or, um, not wolf dog, wasn't it? Lion uh, dog, lion, lion dog. dog. That's it. And so the thing with, with King Caesar is, uh, you know, he is definitely, he definitely fits in this era of monsters in that he is humanoid and doesn't have anything particularly unusual about his body shape. But the he is very animalistic. He he reminds me more of like a performance of Kong than of a any other Godzilla type of monster because of the way he runs around and yeah. uh, how agile he is portrayed as. Um, and of course, he has his big ears, which are you know used to good effect here and later when he reappears in Final Wars. Yeah. Uh, also, he um, I do like this. He has the beam reflect. Which that was mm-hmm. in a in that was you mentioned some of the earlier versions of the story that became this film, that was featured in some of the earliest ones. Was that whatever the guardian beast would have the ability to, uh, you know, a- absorb a beam and then reflect it back. And I do like that. It's so neat. And what's cool about that is, uh, it it's very carefully done. And I I tried I didn't notice any time that they didn't get this. It always goes in. I think his left eye and comes out his right. Right. Yeah. And that it's just a little attention to detail that you didn't really need to do in that. Cause you get the idea that, Oh, he's reflecting it. But I like that. It's, it's, you know, it, it's consistently portrayed. Yeah. I, and the thing is too, it's, I mean, I'm saying we've seen that used, you know, year down the road, they've the, the idea of reflecting back the beams and whatever, like it's always been used, reused and stuff. I yeah. think here it works really well. Cause we haven't seen that to this point. Have we? No. Turning no, this someone's was the first own, time we had really seen it, yeah. Right, turning their own power against them or their own attack against them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so uh, Godzilla soon appears, and the two monsters join forces to fight Mechagodzilla, and it is now time for the big finish because that is what we get here. It is the TB fate. It is the big fight at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, the t- when the robot tries to escape, Godzilla uses its stored electricity to create an electromagnetic field to attract Godzilla before tearing its head off, causing it to explode. Okay, so we now see the full brunt of Mechagodzilla's arsenal on display here. Uh, There are weapons that he breaks out in this fight that he had not used in the previous fight. 
Uh, we get to see right. that they, he's got a bolt that he shoots from his chest. He fires rockets from his kneecaps. Uh, of course, he fires the uh, missiles from his fingers. He has the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the beam out of his eyes. He has his force field, which is, is classic. I love the spinny head force field deal. Um, right. And it's just, it's just absolutely crazy, the amount of explosions and stuff that is in here. And you think, okay, well, it's one evil monster and two heroic monsters. How much of a fight can this be? But Mechagodzilla is still the favor. He's still the favorite yeah. here. You know oh, what I'm sure, saying? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, great line from Kuranuma when he says the, the classic line, beat Godzilla to death. <laughs> it's like, they're not playing around. You know? <laughs> yeah. The other, uh, the other classic bit to me in this is, um, um, you know, Godzilla and King Caesar have Mechagodzilla surrounded. So he turns his head backwards and fights in two directions at once. Right. Yes. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. We've never seen that that before either. No, because we hadn't seen a robot like this before in the Godzilla series. That always reminds me of, um, you know, Captain Kirk says it in Wrath of Khan. Someone is thinking, someone's uh, thinking two dimensionally, you know, or someone's not thinking three dimensionally. So yeah, he's like, okay, we got him surrounded. It's like, okay, well I can handle that. I can fight in two directions at once. And he's still, he's still coming out on top. You know, he's firing the finger missiles at, at uh, one side and the I beams to the other and driving them both back which I thought was, was good. That, then the, the, um, I call it the arsenal attack when it's, it's just the shot. It's the otaku shot again of unfi- of just unloading all the weapons all at once. Right. Well, Godzilla and King Caesar just like flopping around trying to get to cover. Uh, it's very similar in the way it's blocked out to, uh, Megalon and, uh, Megalon does that to Godzilla and Jet Jaguar, yep. where he just keeps firing his weapons over and over again and trapping them. Uh, but here it's just edited together. So rapid fire. It's that staccato editing of all the different attacks at once that that's another one, that image. Cause they use that in Terra Mechagodzilla also. It really sticks with you because it is just so many weapons. There was never any other monster that Godzilla fought that had this many attacks and let alone use them all at once. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is about Mechagodzilla, and I think this is what, um, uh, again, I mean, it's a robot version of Godzilla. Of course, it's going to be popular. But I think this yeah. is what makes him so cool is you've never seen this before. We're like, what? It just makes per- everything. It makes perfect sense. Like, of course, he's got missiles and a laser and a this. And, a- and of course, you can like all these things make perfect sense because sometimes when you put something on the, you know, you're like, this all makes sense on paper. Then you try it out. Uh, you know, it's like it doesn't really work in real life. This stuff all looks beautiful on the screen and it makes perfect sense in the movie. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it allows Mechagodzilla to be the, and I know we talk about, you, know, you talk about him being the number five. <sighs> to, the thing is, to me, and I understand that Mothra needs to be, you know, it's, you know, Godzilla, Rodan, Ghidorah, Mothra, and, and King, and um, Mechagodzilla. To me, in the grand scheme of things, and I understand Mothra has her place. I'm not trying to, I know it's their Mothra fans out there. Mothra is no, I mean, to me, it's Godzilla, King Ghidorah. It's tough because Rodan is really cool. And I love Rodan, but Mega Godzilla probably comes third in people's minds. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because of how popular he is, because of how cool he's a robot, you know, and I'm not trying to be degrading to Rodan or Mothra, but let's be honest here. Like, 
Rodan, as great as he is, there are people out there who don't think of him on the same level as like Mechagodzilla. Because Mechagodzilla is the bad guy when Godzilla is the good guy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Rodan is is great. And Rodan, the movie Rodan is outstanding, but Rodan is not the main star of any other film. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So and to Whereas be honest, Mechagodzilla gets several starring returns. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's he he's on a on a level with Godzilla. He's not just the bad guy who shows up at the end. He's there the whole time. Yeah, especially in the in the in the nineties in the um, the two millennium films. The two millennium films. I was trying to yeah. guess because yeah, because those hundred percent he's a main focus of them. So well, that and, and believe it or not, that that is I agree with you hundred percent. Don't I mean that mm-hmm. part you believe, but I'm saying believe it or not, there are some people who don't like those two <laughs> Kiru films because of that. Because really? they are really about Kiru and his they and are. the relationship of the you know the the uh, the, the the artificial and the na- and the and the natural and the spiritual world really the artificial and the spiritual mm-hmm. and and they really are I mean that I always said that those films especially the first one Godzilla X Mechagodzilla that to me it's like a manga more than a tokusatsu the way that mm-hmm. the story is told and the idea the the, the moral question that it asks. You know, they, it's that's in Tokyo SOS. You, you know, the 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 dead must, you know, the the living must never touch the souls of the dead. Right. And so it, he he allows you to raise those questions. Here, he's a cyborg from space, and he's awesome. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's the thing. Mothra and Rodan, they're top guys, but they're they're mostly heroes. You know. Yeah. Whereas, oh yeah, Mechagodzilla can go either way. But even when he is air quotes up to the microphone, you know, on the right. side of the angels, he's still the yeah. antagonist. You know, exactly. it's still Godzilla versus him, yeah. you know, and that he, it's, it's that, that symmetry that you allowed with having a, you know, um, you know Godzilla for whatever he is, you know, created by science is still part of the natural world, a perversion of the natural world. Whereas Mechagodzilla is the artificial. And we've seen that theme plenty of times. We've talked about that here and on, on, on other shows about the, mm-hmm. the natural and the artificial worlds. And now they, they can't coexist. But uh, you know, one of the things is real quick. I just want to say this. Yeah. So thinking about the uh, the Millennium films, because those came before um, uh, Pacific Rim, right? Yeah, they're all Pacific, yes. before Pacific Rim. Yes. Would you, because Pacific Rim, very, I mean, let's be very honest. Pacific Rim has a lot of influences there. You can, you, you just see them, Right. Do you think that that version of that 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 the Kiru version of Mechagodzilla influenced kind of some of the idea some of the the ideas maybe that we see in the uh, Pacific Rim universe? I think so, because again, uh, both the the Kiru and the Heisei version of Mechagodzilla, mm-hmm. you know, the, the line from Pacific Rim, the one that to me explains the entire concept, is to battle monsters. We created monsters of our own. Right. And that, that is the Heisei Mechagodzilla. And that is Kiru. It's like when faced with a threat that there's no possible way that any weapon we can make, mm-hmm. a conventional weapon we can make can fight this. Well, we, we have to face a monster. We'll make one. And that, that's really what the Jaegers are. You know, that, yeah. that was always the connection between, um, Pacific Rim and the, the super robot, uh, tradition was that the, right. the, the, the robots and the, the super robot, you know, they were monsters. They were these incredibly powerful things that you could not really comprehend. And that's kind of the way the Jaegers are. So I, right. I think that is a really insightful point that the, uh, you know, that, that idea of creating your own monster to defend yourself. And in the case of Kiru, now they don't really get into this. They get into this a little bit in, 
uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, what, you know, you create a monster, but what if you can't control that monster? Right, right, know? right. And that was Kiru, right? That yeah. it, you, you had, you, 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 st- you went past, you know, it was one thing to make a robot. It's another thing to create a cyborg monster. You, you mm-hmm. tampered in the domain that you shouldn't have been, and now you're going to pay the price for your hubris. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I think I think definitely. That's why I think that that's one of the great things about cyborgs in general. It lets you ask those questions. You know, mm-hmm. again, Terror Mechagodzilla will get into this as well. You know, mm-hmm. with Katsura, it's like, well, are you? You know, if how much of you is human? How much of you is machine? Does it matter anymore? You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's but all it's, these science fictiony types of topics that you don't necessarily think of when you're thinking, oh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, right? But it's like, well, right. there's there's some moral question here that is worth looking into well it's it's to me it's always kind of funny when when someone talks about that kind of stuff and they reference whatever movie they might be referencing or topic whatever and i was like oh you mean like robocop and like nothing like robocop i'm like are you kidding me like robocop he's a cyborg who he remembers everything like he's he's he doesn't become he's robocop for the whole middle two-thirds of the movie he's murphy in the beginning and he's murphy at the end but he's Murphy at the end who has a lot of metal parts fill it in for the stuff that's yeah. gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, it's, it's so much deeper. And they're like, well, it's, it can't be. It's, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. I'm like, look, it ain't Showgirls, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely, what do you call it? Like there's stuff there. That's one of the things I think that quite we question for, and I don't know if you've spoken about this here. I know you and I have talked about this. The movie is called Upgrade. Um, mm-hmm. And it touches a lot of that idea of, um, what happens when you need uh, machinery to live, you know, because he's, if, if he's paralyzed, not to ruin anything. It's, it's, you know, it in the first five seconds, uh, like what happens when the machine takes over and where does the machine end and the person begin or vice versa. Mm. And the movie uh, ex machina, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not talks a lot about, well, what happens when we make the machine, you know, more human than human, right? right. Kind of thing. Like, kind of, to, to quote a Rob Zombie thing, right? What happens when it's no longer just a machine that does a job, but now we're giving it feelings and emotions and what, ha- it, what, how does it learn? Does it learn from its environment? Does it only learn from its programming? Like these things have been explored in movies that are uh, air quotes to the mic, you know, like artsy, but yet, we're touching on it here in 74. We touch on it again in 93. We touch on it again in all these different places because that's what Mechagodzilla is. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes, he's an alien killing machine here, but at some point someone's driving the robot. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right. like, you know, at some point it's not just, it's not just a bulldozer. Go, you know, you get on and you go through the, the dirt pile. At some point, this machine says, no, no, we're not going through that dirt pile. We're doing this. Yeah. And you know, so anyway, yeah, I mean, and that, but that is, you're right. That, that is, there's a reason why there's so much science fiction that addresses mm-hmm. it. When you mm-hmm. mentioned upgrade next Mahina, the first one I thought of was Alita battle angel. Exactly. You know, battle angel Alita as a manga. And I, mm-hmm. I liked the movie, uh, Alita. I liked the movie version of Alita quite a bit. And I really do hope they do eventually get to make another one, but mm-hmm. that deals with the same thing. It's like, you know, are you, what, what makes you human? Is yep. it that you have all human parts or can a machine also be a human and can a human no longer be a machine? I mean, you know, again, 
we're getting pretty far afield. Terminator 2 talks about this oh to a, a large degree. Oh my God, yeah. In in ways it's, that, let me tell you, when I was like 11, I don't know yeah. that I was ready to kind of handle some of these right. moral questions that that movie starts raising when you really look at it. Yeah. But before, you know, before we get, you know, let's 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 right. finish this yeah, up because sorry, we so are. This film done. But it's, now, it's, it's you, just, want, you want to talk about moral quandary? Godzilla turns himself into an electromagnet. Yes, and <laughs> he is all bloodied up. He is yes. all bloodied up, oh, yeah. and Mechagodzilla shoots all the, the the missiles off his fingers, and they stick in him, which is a great look. Uh, gets recycled in the credits for the next movie. Um, is so there any pulls... other movie where Godzilla is this bloody? No, I don't think he gets bloodier than this in any movie, right? No, I mean, he's co- he's literally covered he's in blood. Covered in blood. Yeah, this yeah. is a lot of blood for Godzilla. <laughs> so. Uh, the electro, he turns himself into an electromagnet and pulls Mechagodzilla out of the sky, which mm-hmm. is, uh, Great. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's so awesome. It, but no, but it's so cool though. It's like, yeah. it, it might, you might be like, okay, this makes no sense, but it's freaking cool. You know, kind yeah. of thing. So uh, I, I figured, you know, he's, he was created by radiation and an atomic explosion creates an electromagnetic pulse. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. He can turn himself into an electromagnet. Yeah. Okay. Look, yeah. look, this isn't a Jack Arnold movie. We don't need all that much science. So yeah. we're good. <laughs> Let's uh, increase the Flash Gordon noise and put more science stuff around. <laughs> the um, and then he pulls the the two the two electrical towers onto his chest. Yes, which is just a cool, great. That is so cool. It is so. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've seen a model kit of that. It's like that is so yeah. awesome. You know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we get the double team where King Caesar rams uh King Ghidorah or King Ghidorah King rams Mechagodzilla <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. And uh, and they twist his head off, and it pops off, yeah. uh, which is great because, you know, that's what you do with a robot, right? You either right. you know give it a logical problem till it blows up, or you tear its head off. Yeah. Well, they can't break its jaw open and let him bleed out like Angerus. No, can't break its yeah. jaw open. So uh, so because um, uh, so with uh, with Mechagodzilla defeated, the mortified aliens are distracted. Nambara and the others free themselves using the uh, using the uh, the pipe. Yeah, kill course. their captors and sabotage the base, fleeing it as it explodes. With the enemy defeated, Godzilla heads out to sea, and King Caesar returns to his resting place, while the humans rejoice. So, yeah, so they they tear Mech Godzilla's head off. Then he explodes with the the pieces of metal raining everywhere, yeah. which will be a plot point in the next film, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. And yeah. then, uh, then we got it. We got to kill the aliens off. So, uh, time to kill some more aliens in gruesome ways. <laughs> They're alien. We can have yeah. blood spraying out. It's not red. It's green. Yeah. What difference right. Is well, that's, that's, that's how, uh, for those of you who are, uh, fans of horror movies and, in, in, in search of darkness, uh, part two, where they just, they talk about that. I think or one, one of the in search of darkness, they talk about how like the rating boards were going crazy. So they just said, make the blood green, make the blood black. I think it's in one and they talk about the idea that, like rating boards couldn't have blood everywhere, but if it's black blood or green blood, go for it, cover yeah. the screen in it. And it's like, okay, you know, cause it's not blood, yeah. you know? So I'm reminded of this kind of a different context when Batman, the animated series was first yes. airing on Fox. A hundred percent. Yeah. They, they, there were certain things they just broadcast standards in practice. Absolutely would not let them do. But mm-hmm. in a very early episode, there is a character named Captain Clown, who is a yeah. giant robot employed by the Joker. And yeah. Batman beats it about the face with a crowbar. Yeah. And they said, said they, you know, we did, they, they, you read the article and they talk about, yeah, we did this assuming they were going to tell us to tone it down. And they said, no, it's a robot. You can do whatever you want. 
Right. Well, so, <laughs> that's also why there's no guns on Batman. There are yes. lasers. Well, that's right? why there's if there if they were guns, they were Tommy guns. Right. Oh yeah. Yes, yes. That'd be old fashioned type guns. There were so no. What was like, the gun? What was guns? the show where there was no guns? There's only lasers. That was oh, a Spider Man. Oh, and, and Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Yes, yeah. and Spider-Man. Yes, you're right. Yeah. They, they, no one has guns. They have lasers. G.I. Joe's all lasers. But I'm yeah. just saying, yeah. But yeah. Well, that's, that's the shirt, right? Knowing is half the battle. The other half is red lasers and blue lasers, right? So Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. but they, from there, they said, well, if it, we can do that. They had, like, the whole two-parter with Hardak was basically about how much sure. damage can we do to people that are other oh, robots. It's okay. You know? Yeah, it's okay, yeah. When we throw Harvey Dent off a roof into the bat symbol, it's okay. He's a robot. It's no problem. When we crush that woman <laughs> with an elevator, no problem. She's a robot, you know? Uh, but, uh, so. yeah, so, yeah, so the aliens all get killed. They, they blow the base up, um, and, uh, and everybody's happy. And then King Caesar goes back in his hill and goes back to sleep, uh, not to be uh, dis- disturbed until the 2000s when he reappeared in uh, Godzilla Final Wars. Yeah, when everybody came back for her. Even yeah. Zilla made an appearance. Speaking of Zilla, I have a funny thing I found here. Okay. So the only Japanese uh, Godzilla movie that was released in Hungary was this movie. And it wasn't released until 1989 and a very short run in the cinema, but was met with very unfavorable reception where critics called it utterly worthless film and one of the worst science fiction movies in history. It was so badly received that no other Japanese Godzilla film was ever released thereafter neither theatrically nor on home video or on television. As a result, most people believe that Roland Emmerich's American Godzilla from 98 was the first and only true Godzilla film. I saw that and I go, oh my God, I have to bring that to the show. Oh my because God. Think about that. Godzilla, Santa Claus, King Kong, like he's bigger than life. He's Superman. He's, he's, he's bigger than anything. In Hungary, was it Hungary? I said right. Yes. Was it in? Yeah, in Hungary. No, no, no Godzilla here. Thank you, thank you. We only want Godzilla. We're good. Are yeah. you kidding? So I just thought that was hysterical. Wow. I wanted to make sure I throw it out there. I know I'd never heard that before. So I don't think I have any. I'm not sure if I have any Hungarian listeners, but if I if I do, please. I would love to hear from you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just so funny if you had somebody from Hungary who's listening to you, who's discovering that all these movies exist now. Yeah. And there's like, what? What? My whole youth, I wasted it. <laughs> there, there's, there's some, uh, there, there's some, uh, some, some young man in Budapest is like, what? It's a whole series of these, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the thing is folks, um, excuse me, as Luke said, a lot of stuff here ties right into Terra Mechagodzilla, which to me is the movie that I remember much more. I've seen it way more times. It has Titanosaurus, one of my favorite Godzilla uh, monsters of all time, maybe the, my favorite, uh, next to Mechanicon, right? Mechanicon versus Titanosaurus in a movie would be, like, ultimate. Um, but what we get here is, and this is what we were talking about before, this movie's so much different because it deals more with spiritual than any other of the films did, and, it, and it's not so science fiction-y. It has science fiction, but not as much. But it also ties in Planet of the Apes. It ties in, like, so many different things. And I think... Because this movie was, I don't want to say lost, but harder to find for a while. Yeah. I think it has a different feeling in people. Like people don't feel the same way about it as you would. Um, I don't know. Like one of the ones that was on TV literally all the time. Right. You know, I think, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that, that's the thing. Even, even today, of, of all of the show of films 
this may be the one I have watched the least amount of times mm-hmm. in my life, you know, just because it was not readily available. It was not on TV. I didn't have it. You know, it wasn't always available on VHS. And, you know, compared to the other ones that were just more commonly seen. I mean, how many times have, have you or I seen King Kong versus Godzilla? Oh, my God. It's in the triple digits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I so mean, I, it's like, put it this way. My daughter has seen that movie like at least a dozen times. Yeah. Right. And she's not even a dozen years old. Right. I'll just say it. So, <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. So, yo, no, I mean, I, I agree. I said th- this time, this of, of all the viewings I've watched, even the last time I watched it for the podcast, mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed the film more this time. Sure. Um, I think, again, just as I've gotten older, I've appreciated some of the structure and some of the direction, especially from Jun Fukuda, who I, I never really liked his films as much as uh, Honda's films, but I've come to really enjoy Fukuda's films. And in fact, this is the last one we'll cover, but his films from the 70s, you know, I've enjoyed, I really enjoyed all four of them. They are so, mm-hmm. I was down on them for so long, but I enjoyed all of them. And actually it's kind of funny. Uh, I've gotten to cover all four of those with guests now that I think of it, because <laughs> you and I did Smog Monster yeah. and then uh, Nathan Marchand and I did uh, Geigen and then Joe and I, Joe Butler and I did uh, Megalon. And now here we are yeah. with Mechagodzilla. And it's like Fukuda for a guy that, you know, he always said he never thought there should be any sequels to the original Godzilla and for the, the way that his films were always kind of looked down upon cause he wasn't uh, Ishiro Honda. I, th- I think they hold up pretty well and yeah. looking at him back now, you can kind of see what they were going for. You can understand the limitations that they're facing, but you know, this film it's, it's creative. It, it moves along. Well, it has some real, it introduces some really cool concepts with uh, both uh, Mechagodzilla and King Caesar. I think it uses the Okinawa region and setting well, and it even taps into, like you said, not only the the more supernatural stuff, it taps into like some, you know, international espionage, some James Bond type yeah. stuff with the, uh, with the fight on the cruise ship and the, the Interpol agents. So it's, 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 it's certainly not lacking for ideas. I'll give it that, you know, it's not like Megalon where like halfway through they're like, yeah. And then they fight for another 30 minutes, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a bit more well, story going on here. And I think, I think it's to the, to the uh, betterment of the film. I think, uh, you know, Megalon, if that, if, if we can agree that Megalon was clearly the low point of the series, uh, this by, by definition is, of is, is an upturn, but I think it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, a, a more of a, more of a return to form as far as the level of quality, if nothing else. So think about this, like he, he introduces Mechagodzilla, which is, again, we've been very established in the top five, no matter how you select it, he's top five to me, top three, right? Did, did he introduce Geigen also? Yes, he did. So the two, because I know some people don't love Geigen or whatever kind of thing. I remember you loving Geigen as a kid because he's got hooks for hand and a chainsaw on his chest. It's cool, yeah, right? What's not to like here? Right. It's just so cool. Those two monsters are iconic in the God. And again, not to say they're, but let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Hedra is different. It's very different kind of monster, but like yeah. Geigen, like he's come back in different forms. Like we had him later on. Like he's, he's kind of, you look at him, you're like, what's this guy? He's cool. Like you don't have to even know Godzilla to be like, look at this guy. He's cool. Mech yeah. Godzilla, like look at this guy. They're so cool yeah. to be the guy who brought these really cool robot cyborg creatures, you know, outer space monsters into existence through your film. There's gotta be credit there. I, I know people yeah. didn't want to give him credit, but that's okay. The one thing I can say is this 
If you look at his four movies, and we've seen three of them much more than we've seen this one. Yeah. Those were on TV. I remember watching them as a kid all the time. Yeah. Ebro a lot was on yeah. TV a lot. I mean, yeah. that's over to Sea Monster. Very common. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I misspoke a minute ago. Um, obviously, Yoshimitsu Bano, of course, directed Smog Monster, not, not right, June right. I misspoke there. Right. But you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But if you look at, like, iconic creatures, uh, uh, uh you know, even, even the, even Hedra as, you know, as, as, as a really cool creature and really cool design, but Bano's whole thing, we talked about this on the episode we did, his thing was to be, he was pushing what the, what even went into the movie, what the themes were like, he was really pushing everything, yeah. which I know did not sit well with some people, but it's so true. When you, when you look at Hedra, it's such a different kind of film. These, the, the, the movies that we have here for Fukudo, these movies are, I don't want to say they're, they're more kind of like, I hate to use this term. They're kind of like pop music. They're more kind of mainstream ish kind of thing, yeah, but right. they are definitely movies that introduce important characters yeah. that as a kid, you could be like, this is cool. And as an adult, you can say, wow, there's some good story here. This makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, because yeah, the other the other one, of course, is he directed Son of Godzilla, so yes. he helped interest, introduce Minya. You yeah, know, oh. whether you like or dislike Minya, yes. important character in oh Godzilla God, yeah. mythos. Yeah, you know, and uh, and you know, and and to me, it's like I, I say this all the time about Son of Godzilla. That movie has no right to be as good as it is. Yeah, you know? no, it just doesn't. like you know, and, and yeah. Kuamanga and the Kamakuras have no right to be as worked as well as they do, but they do. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah. But yeah, but here, so like I said, I, I enjoyed watching this one again mm-hmm. and I, I do want to watch this one with the kids. I think they'll definitely get a kick out of it, especially the whole reveal, you know, the reveal of Mechagodzilla, the fake mm-hmm. Godzilla and all that. So, um, hard to believe that, uh, this is just one year away from the, the end of the Showa period for Godzilla. We are yeah. getting right near the end here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe it's been, it's, we, we, there's just, you know, it, it runs such a gamut, you know what I'm saying? So. Well, the other thing too is about Godzilla movies. And this is, I think what people kind of, cause again, being so removed from them now, I mean, we're talking 40, 45, 50, almost 50 years from some of these movies is that, uh, cause we look at movies now, like, well, of course they're making a sequel. Of course they're making a sequel. It wasn't guaranteed to get sequels to things right. or to another installment or another, whatever. I think now, because every French, every movie wants to be a franchise, but franchises become such a big thing. Um, but Godzilla's and stuff, James Bond was a franchise. Godzilla's were a franchise there. I mean, like by 74, we don't have planet, all the planet of the apes movies. We don't have star Wars. We don't have like, you know what I'm saying? It was such a foreign concept at the time. The idea of the franchise didn't really explode as much as it did until later, you know? And, yeah, and you had, you had, you had series of films like back yeah. in the Hollywood studio era, yeah, 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 have, yeah, yeah. you know, this Basil Rathbone playing Sherlock Holmes over and over again, right? But, right. you know, that, that wasn't necessarily like we think of it now where they like, oh, go, that's a big moneymaker. The studios liked them because they were steady moneymakers, yeah. Yeah. but Godzilla, I mean, he was the top draw for, for yeah. Toho and Toho again, lest we forget, I think at the time, still the largest movie studio in Japan. Yes. So it's yeah. like, you know, this, this was their, this was their a, a pictures usually. So, so think about this though. Like when hammer started making horror Dracula and curse of Frankenstein, no one thought about making like, there's going to be all these sequels coming to them. Yeah. The, the Dracula movies, some of them 
like well, you get to Scars, which wasn't even supposed to be a Dracula movie, and right. then you get to seventy two and 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 Satanic Rites, which are kind of like weird at the end. But like the Dracula, if, if horror of Dracula did not literally reinvigorate the entire horror movement, it do, they don't get sequels. And exactly. yep. this is the key with Frankenstein. And I think people who don't don't think about it this way. To me, when you think of like, and I, I don't mean to get us a far afield here, but you'll see what I'm saying in a second. Peter Cushing is Baron Frankenstein, right? He's the tying link between them. He yeah. he makes a monster. It doesn't work. I'll make a new monster. I'll make a new one. I'll make a new one. He like He's always trying to up his game. He's the tie together in those. But right. it's a human being, again, as, as, as crazy as some of those movies get with the Frankensteins, right? It's that character going through. Godzilla, from the original Gojira, to what we get even here is not the same. It, it's it's not the same monster, right? So to speak, Godzilla, the true God's the Gojira, the original Gojira, to me is a standalone movie. It is yes. its own movie. It does not exist. I know it exists. I get it, but it doesn't really exist in this world. Right. The Godzilla we get in Gigan in. Um, Mecha, Megalon in you know uh, in in Mecha Godzilla and Terra Mecha that Godzilla is totally different, right? But that Godzilla is even different than the Godzilla we get in '85 and Biolanti and you know all those other movies. It's, it's it's closer, but it's not the same guy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, so. it, it's there, there's that that permanence. There are certain character mm-hmm. traits that we associate with them, so that 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 are always there, so we can take the character and put them in different settings. And they work, you know, I always kind of liken it to, there was a a pair of Tarzan movies in the sixties that Mm -hmm. were made Tarzan into like a secret agent. I know if you're familiar with those, I am not, I, 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 I'm very Johnny Weissmuller, I'm very Johnny Weissmuller, uh, Tarzan, just to be honest with you. So Tarzan secret agent. Uh, let's see if I can just do a quick search here and if I can yeah. find them. But so there, there were these two films where it was like Tarzan's kind of like an international agent type of thing. And it was totally different from the, um, from what we, you know, Johnny Weissmuller and all those, let's see, Tarzan movies, 1960s, that might do it, um, to, to identify that this character, but it's like that Tarzan's still identifiable, you know, right. still recognized as Tarzan still makes sense. But it's just in a different context. And it's the same we can do this with it, with Frankenstein, with Dracula, Godzilla, uh, right, 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 King right. Kong, all those guys. So I, that that speaks to the the strength of the character and the permanence of the character and why it works so well to take Godzilla in different directions. And if you really want to get technical, you know, you can always say, well, you know, the Godzilla from 1954 died from the oxygen destroyer. And then a second Godzilla showed up a year later and we've been following him. You know? No, and, and I get that. I'm just saying yeah. that. But when you look at the movies, just in general, you look at a movie like the original Gojira. The original Gojira is so much a standalone. It's like Kong 33. It is its yeah. own standalone movie. It is not, I, 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 which is so different um, than the what do you call it? than the um, uh, like like we got with Skull Island. And with uh, Godzilla and then King of the Monsters and then, uh, you know, those things like that. When you look at those, those are so much designed to be living in this world. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas this, these series of movies don't really, um, 
I don't know. Like they're 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 they stand together, but they clearly don't have to be the exact same thing. It's not like it's not like fifty. It's not like the original happened and it's that same thing. It's totally a different kind of creature. So right. absolutely okay. I did find it just to close the loop on that. Yeah, the film. Yeah. The first one I was thinking of is Tarzan and the Valley of Gold. Yep, I just from, found it. And yeah, yeah, from nineteen sixty six. You know, and yep. uh, it is. Um, it is uh, starring Mike Henry, and that 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 cover that that cover that that poster I always remember with got with Tarzan whipping the grenade around. Yes, they throw him yeah. up at the helicopter. So yeah. there was a couple of these films that they made that were very much uh, a James Bond sort of take on Tarzan. Though it, yeah. it, there's no reason that you can't put that character in a different. You know, I will setting. say this right now. You know? I have 100% never seen these. Yeah. The poster I've seen, I have never seen this. Holy smokes. Mike Henry's yeah, in good tar- shape. It's though. Tarzan, the Valley of Gold, Tarzan, the Great River, and Tarzan and the Jungle Boy are the three modern ones that take place in the uh, in the 60s. And then uh, from there, there's a big gap. They don't make another Tarzan movie till Tarzan the Ape Man with Miles O'Keefe. Well, yeah. Of, then, uh, he of Ator fame. <laughs> yes. Ator. So, anyway. All right. But, yeah. But, folks, as... Um, as Lucas said, I don't get on. If you have not watched this movie in a while and you have the criterion uh, set, because I'm assuming you're going to talk about that in a minute, look mm-hmm. right to get the kind of thing. Um, I would suggest watching it through the criterion set. Now, you're saying to me, Jay, I don't own this. It's on HBO Max. At um, least it was. Yeah. No, it right? still is. I checked okay. it right, as, right before we started recording. So, yeah, if you want to see this movie, you uh, either go get that Criterion collection, the full mm-hmm. um, Showa era Godzilla collection. The uh, it has available the the both the uh, Japanese language and international English audio dub, if mm-hmm. you prefer. So you can do that. Uh, and it is if you don't have that box, it is available to stream on HBO Max. And I believe it's only the dub that's available on HBO Max. Yes. But I so uh, but that dub is it's it's not the Cinema Shares one. It's not the edited one. It is the um, the uncut international dub mm-hmm. one. So it is, it is the full movie. It has all the, all the gore and all that in there. So you're, you're good on that front, but yeah, I mean, give it a, give it a shot. You know, like I said, I was down in this film for a long time. I was like, well, you know, Terror Mech Godzilla is, is the, the real one. And I, in all, all honesty, I still probably like Terror Mech Godzilla better. I think Terror Mech Godzilla is just a freight train. Mm-hmm. Once it starts, yeah. it just goes and does not yeah. stop. Whereas this one has a bit more, uh, you know, a, a few more scenes of, um, of, you know, people getting captured and escaping and such, but I still really like this. And I think if you haven't seen it in a while, you know, you got a really great version out there available to watch, give it a watch and see, you know, maybe if, and, and if you're already a fan, by all means, definitely check out that Criterion's, uh, um, version of it because it, the film will never look better than that at this point. I just yeah. don't think the elements exist to make it look any better, you know, but that well, is I mean, the only the place criterion you can get it spent- unless you want to find the, the, the Criterion spent a lot of time. So the Criterion set, um, it, which is the you know uh, the the Showa era films, yes. they spent a lot of time on those. They wasn't like this is something they slapped dash together and rushed out, which I know some people were worried about. Like, oh, those going to do it. The I mean, it's the thing goes for about right now, like right on Amazon right now, about one hundred and twelve dollars for the entire set. And you're like, that's so much. It covers from 1954 to 1975. I mean, it's just yeah, it's this. This isn't some slapdash together thing. So it's a lot of movies, you know. It's all the movies, and it's the book, and it's everything else. It's just, and let's be honest, they are, they are, um, the the 
the artwork in the book and stuff like that is just killer stuff. Oh, and, yeah. You know, to me, well worth the time and effort to look at it. And when you look at this stuff, you can say, man, okay, I, I can appreciate this or I can look at this. Like I'm looking right now at the artwork they show to for Godzilla versus Mechgodzilla with King Cesar behind him, whatever. This is just, it's just amazing looking. So um, I can't, rec- I mean, I know Luke Reckman, I can uh, vouch for it as well as, as someone who is not nearly as big a Godzilla fan as you are, Luke. I yeah. love this thing. I mean, it was it was a note when it came out. It was like no brainer buying it. Yes. Yeah. You know, absolutely. You know, I, think so. I mean, just to get all of them on on Blu-ray, oh, especially yeah, the ones sure. that that were basically impossible to find here in the mm-hmm. U.S. at that point, no question. Yeah. No question yeah. about it. So yeah. So um, I'll throw it out there to you, the listener. What do you think of Godzilla's Mechagodzilla '74? Are you do you fall on this side of the fence, or do you prefer Terror? Or do you prefer one of the other Mechagodzillas? Right. Right in. Let us know. Earth Destruction Directive at Yahoo.com. Love to hear from you. We'll talk about it here on the show. Uh, Jay, I've got to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking Mechagodzilla with me today. Uh, Why don't you let all the good uh, folks out there in Radio Land uh, know where else they can find you? Sure. Sounds great. So, folks, anywhere you found Earth Destruction Directive, you can find my podcast, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie podcast, uh, where where Luke has been on there several times, and it's often it's our dad and I. That's who the normal we normally are uh, hosting together the show um, where we talk about B movies and that's an all ages show just like Earth Destruction Directive so it's totally fine for the family. If you want to hear Luke and I together, uh, we co-host along with Chris uh, Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, and uh, um, Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell on the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, where we cover horror movies. And also you can find Luke and myself with the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, as we talk about get back to the wrestling. Finally, there's a show on uh, the internet about professional wrestling and where we talk about obviously professional wrestling, just to let you know on get back to the wrestling and the vault of Starling monster horror tales of terror. There is some colorful, salty language that might be used here and there by me and by others, but mostly me, um, because those are not all ages. So if you're interested in all ages stuff, check out bots, bugs, and babes, where we talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, and that is very adjacent sometimes to what we talk about here on our yes. structure directive. Right. So, yeah, it was so adjacent. We did a April fool's day where we switched. I don't think anybody noticed. No one even noticed. That's what, that's <laughs> the killer part. The worst part is dad and I doing it. And dad's like, wait, what's the taglines? And stuff? I'm like, I got the taglines Dad. we're good. You know, cause, <laughs> cause he was worried he was going to mess it up. I'm like, it's not hard dad. They're all ages shows. You just, just yeah. don't swear. It's like just we normally swear. do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. But, uh, so yes, please check those out. Bots, bugs, and babes. A lot of fun. We cover, mm-hmm. uh, Jay and I have covered a lot of, we we've had some variety this year on the show, yes. uh, uh, for sure. We got more variety coming down the, down the pipe. So please check that out. And, uh, again, I'd take an opportunity to thank everyone for downloading and listening to Earth Destruction Directive. Hope you enjoyed our show. Just a quick reminder that Earth Destruction Directive, as my brother said, is for everyone. If you, uh, find joy in Japanese giant monsters and Daikaiju and anything that we talk about here. You are welcome to interact with the show on any level that you feel comfortable. Uh, all are welcome at Earth Destruction Directive. So uh, that is all we've got today. As I said, I'll throw it out to y'all at, in the listeners, uh, in, the, in the listening audience. Uh, yeah, Earth Destruction Directive at Yahoo.com or hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. All the information is in the outro to the show. Be sure to check out the show on YouTube. Just search for, wait for it. Earth Destruction Directive on YouTube, and you can find the show there. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to hear from you now. You know, the last time I had a guest on, 
I, I said, I said it was Joe Butler. I said, Joe, should we tell the audience what's coming next? And he said, no, let them stew. And I said, all right. So we're going to do exactly <laughs> that. We're going to let everybody stew as to what the next episode will be. I will say that I am trying to get a guest on for that one. So it won't be just me that you hear, hopefully. Uh, so, but, but as for what we're covering, I think we're going to let that be a surprise. Uh, Jay, any last thoughts before we sign off? Uh, I just want to thank you for having me on. I love talking uh, Godzilla movies. I don't get to do as much talking about Godzilla movies as I um, would like to sometimes because it just doesn't come up in my everyday, uh, you know, job. So No, it doesn't. Mine yeah. either. It's really kind yeah. of disappointing. But, uh, well, Jay, as always, you're welcome to to join us and uh, always appreciate having you on, the person who's watched more Godzilla movies with me than anyone else uh, in my <laughs> life. So, uh, again, thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. Please come back next time. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one.